Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujan Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Zweite Bundesliga podcast. We are reaching the pinnacle, the end of the season. This is the final stretch as we enter the month of May. Who will find their way in the Bundesliga? Who will have to fight it out in the playoffs? And who will be down in the depths of the despair, otherwise known as the Dritte Liga? So this week we're going to discuss all the action from match day 30 in a, get, in a weekend that really made it a lot clearer as the two the two sides who will potentially be on their way to the Bundesliga. But it is still very, very tight down in the basement and we'll have all bases covered on this week's edition. As always, to uh, help me in particular, because I need the assistance after the week I've had so far, I won't tell you why, um, to discuss all the action from the weekend. It's the one and only Everlotter Bowler ever. Good morning to you. First things. How are you doing? And it was a, and it was a, it was a mixed result for us as a collective, but um, some really big results in the league. We saw one team in particular. Uh, we don't want to call them arrogant, but their football leaves a lot to be desired, and now they're under a lot of pressure uh, to even potentially salvage a, a relegation playoff spot. Um, but overall, another fantastic weekend. There were plenty of goals. Some teams really st started to rejuvenate the spark. Others left licking their wounds once again. Hi. Yeah, I know how it is to lick your wounds. Um, no, all in all, it was a, a great weekend of football, um, I think, for, for everyone around. Um, just good weather in a lot of places, at least in the places I've been. Don't forget your sun cream. Mm -hmm. It comes to that time of the year. It's it's always clever, especially if you're traveling to St. Pauli in, in spring, summer. As an away fan, you will have the sun in your face for 90 minutes straight if there is sun. So don't forget sunscreen. Um, <laughs> this is this is me parenting everyone around. You're welcome. Um, take the advice or leave it. No, I think um, it's crazy. It was match day 30, and still we have clearance, but also not. And it's still, you think, can clubs turn it around? It's getting tighter at the bottom. Um, it's getting clearer at the top. Um, I, I would suggest just from the last couple of results. And once again, uh, the league showed us one good result doesn't help you if you are not picking up points constantly, picking up wins constantly. Um, because everyone around you will do something as well. And that's why, yeah, we um, yeah had a couple of interesting results. Yeah, we did. Sorry, I thought you were going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, look, um, it, is, it is evenly poised. You've got the bottom six separated by five points. Um, and we're going to start, we, we tend to always start at the top, the teams that are looking to progress to the first division. And there's a bit of an interesting development thanks to the results of the weekend. 
there are three teams tied on 50 points, and they are the chasing pack. They are chasing a Hamburger Sval side that is sputtering and potentially vulnerable if results go against them. So we're going to start with the first of those teams that are challenging. Then we'll look at the two top sides, and then Group 2 will feature teams like Hamburg, Dusseldorf that are in that mix. Um, as And then we'll talk about the teams that are fighting in the relegation zone. But we'll start uh, at the Milan Tour. Uh, St. Pauli hosting Armenia Bielefeld on a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Hamburg. The, real, the weather turned it on and one team really turned it on for, I would say, the opening 70 minutes of the game. And that was St. Pauli who played with real vigour and, and desire to break down a Bielefeld side that was probably a bit too passive in the early phases. Under a lot of pressure, some of it was was self-made. Um, early in the first half, St. Pauli probably should have scored when Martin Freisel spilled the beans in, in his own box, but uh, Elias Saad wasn't able to head the ball on target. Lert Pacarada was kind of a, a bit of a nuisance for for, um, for Bielefeld to handle. Um, he had a few efforts on goal in the first half, wasn't able to find the breakthrough, but he would assist the opening goal of the game just early on in the second half. His unbelievably precise long ball, finding Marcel Hartzell, who timed his run to perfection, and then eventually beat Martin Freisel. Hartzell respectfully not celebrating, of course. He helped Bielefeld gain promotion a few seasons ago. Um, and then they scored again uh, just 16 minutes later. Bielefeld f- failing to clear the danger from a set piece and uh, Jugala headed the ball to Dashner. Dashner poked at home and that's after 70 minutes, 2-0, it was looking like, well, this game's pretty much in the book. St. Pauli are going to cruise and this is the way it is. But Bielefeld did get a goal uh, three minutes later. Um, really good ball in from Klunter to find Klaus and Klaus's header found Konsbrucker who headed home for his third goal of the season. And that's when Bielefeld started to kick into gear. Don't, never mind the opening 70 minutes of the game where they really offered next to nothing. They dominated the final 20 minutes and that goal really spurred them on. They had their chances to find an equalizing goal and Nikolai Vasil made a couple of really good saves down the stretch to ensure that the hosts would score a win after two consecutive defeats. It does mean that Bielefeld have now lost three on the bounce and obviously, it was made a lot worse when Guillermo Ramos uh, picked up an injury from a, from an incident in the game, and it looks like his season is done. We'll talk, Eva. We'll get you to touch on Bielefeld. I, I can cover all the St. Pauli stuff, but um, it was a really bad weekend, not only for the result itself, but the fact that there were teams around them that picked up valuable points. We'll talk about Rostock and Sandhausen in Group Three. So that kind of compounded what was a pretty difficult day, especially, I think, for it, it must have been really frustrating because for the opening phases, for the opening two-thirds of the game, it was all St. Pauli. But then once Bielefeld scored, they just turned it on. Like, like they had it in them. They almost needed a, a push to get to a situation where they could actually get something out of the game. Yeah, the thing was, I think... Um... Fabian Hitzler said before the game in the press conference that um, if they're going to score the first goal, it's going to be very difficult for Bielefeld to turn it around. And um, I was like that. I mean, um, I would agree with uh, your analysis of the first half. And I mean, obviously, um, 
Yeah, I, I wasn't that keen with uh, Vasayaras in the starting 11 just because you already had five in the back. So that was also already very defensive, which can help, obviously, if you have mishaps. But obviously, with then having Prietel and Vasayaras as the two players before that, who are, in my opinion, although Vasayaras has scored, I think, three goals this season, um, rather defensive as well. Um, and that's the difference between Vasiliadis and Kornsburg. Um And you could see that. And obviously, as well with Lasma, although his, um, he had a good chance to make it 1-1. And um, yeah, I'm just not... Just, if I don't talk about the chance, I think I'm a happier person. And I thought we let that, left that behind us in the last past couple of weeks. Shots like that on target, but okay. Um, yeah, I mean... It... It was just not really good defending. You had like Prietel versus um, Harder for the one nil. Reminded me for the um, the goal back uh, against Darmstadt, the the goal they conceded, where it's very similar that there's one long ball and then you you have those players in the back, but they don't really know what to do. Um, and then obviously with Ramos out in the end, um, in my opinion. I didn't have the chance to look at it again because whatsoever it wasn't in any of the highlights uh, again. And obviously the, the rewatch of the game is not before like Tuesday afternoon. Mm. It's a bit too late. Um, in my opinion, the, it was very un... Like, it, it's not necessary how Metcalf goes into Ramos in that situation. Um, it's there's not really much to play for in that situation and he goes in and he like we I mean we always talk about action um and the action is clearly there and also the he takes into account that his opponent is can be seriously injured obviously the way Ramos falls afterwards is unfortunate but in a way how he faults him and there's like he doesn't touch the ball at all um it, in my opinion it could have been a red card um more of like I, I, we've seen red cards and, and on the pitch this weekend where I would say or like penalties and stuff where well, I would say okay uh, so yeah for for me that would have been um, Metcalf could have gotten sent off but that's not why we lost um, they had chances afterwards if uh, I mean, if you if you concede a goal by Kunzhoff by Hedia, I know that St. Pauli fans were rather not amused on mm. how after like four minutes after you have the day game done and dusted more more or less, um, you fall into a space of twenty minutes where you just stop playing. Because that was was basically it. I mean, before and then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that in the first half you, the statistics sell twelve to one shots on on goal. Um, if you don't like, in the end, nobody cares. It's a result result driven uh, match, obviously, and game. And um, didn't really understand why from being so dominant and so confident in what they did, San Pauli changed like just one goal mm. changed their game completely and I haven't seen like obviously if you just exclude the game against ISV um, for once 
I I don't really understand how that happened because I haven't really seen that under Hürzler that they completely stopped playing football uh, for the remainder of the game. Um, and I think if there would have been a, a team that is a bit more talented in scoring goals um, in situations like that, it could have gone a different direction. And obviously the win was well-deserved uh, because of the first 60 minutes. Um and they obviously managed to score the goal in a phase where Bielefeld came together. They were really much looking for high pressing and they worked quite well. And then they scored the goal and Bielefeld seemed like they were dead. So I didn't really know what was happening there. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about it. The 2-0 lead is the most dangerous lead in football. And in in a situation like that where you can see at the time that they did... It is the instinct to sit back, try and play, be solid defensively and not concede the second goal rather than trying to get the third. And in this situation, you know, St. Pauli opted, you know, they, they fell into the trap that so many teams do late in games with a 2-1 lead. They just try and defend and it's not, it's, we just don't want to concede. That's all we're trying not to do. And um, they did enough. They got... A bit lucky, but sometimes you need to be able to have a little bit of luck in those situations. So, look, they're on 50 points. They're one of the, the three sides that could do some damage, but their next two games are really challenging. They've got Darmstadt away. That's on Saturday night. World Feed game. So you know that every Hamburg fan is going to have to swallow a little bit of pride and hope that uh, St. Pauli wins on the weekend. Um, and then they've got Dusseldorf at home, also top spieler, uh, also World Feed. And that could be quite an interesting one um, as well. Bielefeld, at, they've got Fürth on Friday night. Uh, and then they travel to Kaiserslautern on Saturday afternoon before with Paderborn and then on the road at Magdeburg to end the season. Let's move to, not to, not a far trip, to Kiel, the Holstein Stadion. It was Kiel and Darmstadt in front of uh, just over 13,000. Uh, this game was, was pretty much in the book early. Uh, goals from Yannick Muller, an unfortunate own goal from Simon Lorenz, and then, of course, Philip Teets. Of course, Philip Teets. Uh, he gets into double figures. He's the first Darmstadt player this season to manage double-digit goals. Um, this one felt comfortable for Darmstadt. I don't think Kiel offered really a lot. You know, It says they've got 12 shots on goal, but the reality of it, they were all pretty low-quality efforts, and the ones that were of... Remote quality, um, Marcel Schuen really put in another good game, which, you know, he's done all season. 11 clean sheets for him this season. He's um, he's two behind Kevin Muller, who's got 13 off the top of my head, 12 or 13. But I think Schuen has been the better goalkeeper out of the two this season. But um, you look at the way they scored their goals. You know, the second one was an own goal from across from Teets because they couldn't contain him. And the third one in particular is the one that I would, if you you were a manager, you'd be super furious about. Literally a long ball from Schuen, header on from Teets to Manu, and no one's really tracking Teets at all as he gets into the box. And it's just like, come on, guys. This is basic work. What this means, we don't kill, it doesn't matter. They're going to finish in the mid-table, and their weird season of ups and downs kind of continues. Um now that they've lost two games in a row after winning two games in a row. Darmstadt have won four of their last five. They're on 64 points. They have an eight-point gap to Haasfell, 
and if my math, if I math well, which, you know, not really, there is potential over the next two weeks that they can clinch promotion, which you'd ideally want to do before, you know, leaving the door ajar. But they are in position A. It was a comfortable performance. There's really not more I can say about it. Um, Well-deserved three points for, for Darmstadt, and they continue to march on for a return to the Bundesliga. Yeah, and I mean, you guys say it was, um, especially in the first half, it was more or less all, all Darmstadt, and they were very efficient in, in what they did, scored two goals out of um, three chances. But, I mean, it was key to take like 40 minutes to really get into the game, um, and then it was already too late. Um, you had the one really watchable chance by by Lawrence. I think he tried attempts that bicycle kick. Um, that was quite nice to watch, and it, it actually really challenged Chuan. But I mean, after the three 0 this is where Darmstadt kind of relaxed, and Kiel ha- came to some chances. But I mean, it was that game was already lost at that point, and uh, even after that. Um, they didn't look dangerous enough. Uh, precision was was something that really, really they were really, really missing. Um, and like if you compare it, uh, Müller who scored his second goal out of eight shots on goal this season, <laughs> this is what we call efficiency. I think it's a, in a weird way. It's uh, it really sums up um, Darmstadt better than uh, for example Tietz could um, because he just doesn't need a lot of chances as obviously he's still the defending player so he doesn't need to have a lot of chances but um, yeah he, he, he scores his goals if needed um, uh, yeah I mean I think it was just um, in, in a weird way it was not a typical Darmstadt game Mm. Uh, because uh, normally this game would have ended 2-0 or, or 1-0 then. Uh, but they yeah, actually showed what they could do and um, yeah, really held Kiel down for, for 50 minutes plus. And that was really impressive and obviously for them uh, a good result um, before yeah, uh, the game against St. Pauli on the weekend, um, which is going to be huge obviously uh, for, for both clubs. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Kiel, um, yeah, doesn't really have have much to play for, just for the fans. Um, and obviously, there's going to be a huge break in summer with uh, a lot of important players leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, positioning yourself high up in the table can attract a bit more players. Um, but yeah, I think they're they're fine. And um, when it comes to the season, was from time to time. I think they're they're happy with that. Yeah, I mean they 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 fit ninth quite well considering the season they have, and from thirty games, ten wins, ten draws, ten losses. Unfortunately, they have a negative four goal difference, which is a great shame. But they've they've filled out quite nicely to where they are. Obviously, no danger of going down um, with that uh, eleven point gap to Armenia Bielefeld, who are currently in sixteenth place. But yeah, it's looking good for Darmstadt. They are in position. They are in position A, uh, as we've said, and we we need to probably stop circling around the fact that we continue to talk about it and blah blah blah. We'll move on to our next game, which is of course talking about Heidenheim. Heidenheim were hoping to make it three games in a row when they made the journey to Fürth on Friday night, and you know, they do say that weird things happen in Bavaria on a Friday night, and it was very spooky because the way they conceded both their goals were, well, 
it's hard to explain it, so I'm going to do my very best. If you haven't seen the goals, then you should go check them out. Because the first one was really, it just should never have happened. It was just curious. It was bizarre. Jonas Forenbach's long ball. Now, the, now Mikowski is in a position where he could could have, if he hadn't been a bit too casual in the initial phase, played the ball to the goalkeeper on the deck, put the ball out to, to touch for a, for a throw-in. But because Jan Nicholas Bester, who's really good at pressing the ball, puts that pressure on him, Mikowski has a little bit of a panic moment. He lobs his own goalkeeper, and it hits the post. And who else? Who else would be there to mop up the pieces? The league's leading goal scorer, Tim Kleindienst, who had no no questions to say thank you very much for this invitation. 1-0 is the score. He probably should have scored again uh, a few minutes later. The ball kind of came to him from a set piece and he chested it, stomached it to the goalkeeper. It was a weird situation. But Heidenheim had the better chances. They were forever on top in this game. They got their second goal again. This time it was Kleindienst that was doing the pressing and yeah, Nicholas Bester scoring the goal. Um, I don't know. I, I can imagine if I was a Furt supporter in this situation, I would have left the ground angry, furious, um, confused as to why this happened. But make no questions. Heidenheim just doing Heidenheim things. The same people. Like we've probably said it for the last 10 weeks, that the same people were doing the same thing and the same job, and they're winning games. And this is why they've won three on the bounce. And we'll talk about the, the result in group two, they now have a four-game, a four-game, four-point cushion from Haasvall, and things are looking good in their pursuit for a first time in the Bundesliga. Yep, and I mean, um, obviously, if you're profiting from from your opponent's mistakes, that is, I mean, as you've mentioned, it has something to do with the way how they play. Um, and I mean, it that before the 1-0 starts early on, this is very typical for Heidenheim, putting pressure on the first line um you could call the the strikers the first line of defending sometimes and and they put pressure on that um very early on and this is why food has to go all the way back and then obviously that mistake is happening um also a bit of luck but sometimes if you're in that position luck is what you need um and yeah Fjord had, I would say, in the first half, Fjord had a lot of little mistakes. In the second half, where it came to bigger mistakes, just the build-up in general. Um, and, I mean, obviously, Alexander Zorniga was not pleased after just 25 minutes. Michalski and Hadari were sobbed off for Jung and Jorn. Um, and, yeah, their own attempts were just too easy for, for Müller to handle. Um, I would kind of quickly touch on that 2-0 because I think um, Heinheim couldn't really have said anything against it if that mm. goal hadn't counted because I think the way Kleindienst is tackling Linda mm. it's not like especially because I think there is a scene afterwards where Kleindienst attempts something like this as well and I've, we've seen that in the past and naturally or something like this um, is seen differently when it's an offensive player that does that than as a defending player like if we would turn it around if Linda would have done that against Kleindienst 
pretty sure we've uh, we had gotten a, a penalty or, or free kick out of it. Um, and I mean, if if the referee saw it on the pitch and said, "Okay, it's not enough for me," don't have to look at the pictures, okay? But I think it could have could have overruled. But that doesn't mean that Heidenheim wouldn't have won that game. I mean, Abiyama nearly was closer to to scoring an own goal than scoring a goal for his team. Um, and yeah, they were just too passive to mm. to get any points out of that. And I mean, um, first of all, they it took a very long time where they didn't like they always scored in a game, um, except on on match day two, I think. Uh, but this was like I think the second time in a row where they haven't even scored a goal, uh, and obviously that's not something you want to enter season with. Obviously they're safe, but. Um, yeah, um, or they, they look very safe. Um, that's something you don't really want to have uh, when it comes to the end of the season. And you can see that Alexander Zoninga wasn't really pleased. Yeah, it's also the first time since August, since the season started, that they've actually lost a game at home. They've actually got a really good home record. And it has been a good reason why they've accumulated points this season. Um but yeah, just the, the individual errors. were, And they've had a few of them throughout the season that have been super, super costly, whether it's been red cards before the half or whatever, the defense, some of the defensive efforts they've produced. And another thing that was quite clear in this game is, again, another team, Heidenheim, who you would expect on paper to be a bit more ball-dominant, letting Furt have possession, letting them try and dictate their play, and you can see how hard it is for them to generate, um, you know, better, better opportunities. And this says a lot about what Furt need to do in the off season. Is they need to find a way to counter that. We know how great they are with the pressing, and and when they've got less off the ball stuff, they do really, really well in the front line defending. But when they've got significantly more possession than they used to. They do seem to struggle a little bit and that's where in um in the in the transfer window they're gonna have to look for players who can be a bit more ball dominant, control the play a bit more, fit the Zorniger style of football, but you know they need another plan B. They need a they need a plan B. They need a plan B that works because plan A is not bad. It has its it has its good moments. The problem is as we're finding with certain teams who don't have plan B, they get found out. And, you know, they lost the game in Rostock, which was entirely their own fault. And this one, they helped Heidenheim. They assisted into a victory. So, as we know, Furt are on the road on Friday night in Bielefeld. Heidenheim welcome Magdeburg to uh, their home stadium on Sunday, the Alpsstadion. Speaking of Magdeburg, we'll speak about them on the other side of the break when they welcomed Hamburger Esval. Magdeburg and Hamburg was a massive game for many reasons. A, Magdeburg was still trying to make sure that they were not in the relegation picture come the, the grunt time of the season, whilst Hamburg were hoping to keep the pressure on, on Heidenheim and Darmstadt. There were some familiar names playing for Magdeburg, who were once at Hamburg, and you know that they would love retribution. Heading into this game, Magdeburg won the previous fixture in Hamburg, three goals to two, and they also beat them last season in Magdeburg, uh, in Hamburg, 
but with a score of two goals to one. Theme building. Tim Volta's fantastic defending and Magdeborg's Christian Tietz. Tietz, of course, was at Hamburg when they were relegated and was sacked midway through the, the, that season for Hannes Wolf, and we all know how well that ended up. So, Hamburg obviously had the, the better chances early on in the game. They had two goals disallowed for offside. The second of those was a, was a beautiful footballing move. Great interchangeable passes, and it ended with Jonas David putting the ball in the back of the net. But he was a smidge offside. Correct decision given. So, of course, as we know, if you don't take your chances, you'll be punished. So Moritz Brody Quarteng, who was once at Hamburg a few seasons ago, he opened the scoring on 32 minutes. It did see. Uh, it did mean that Hamidi Elhan Kuri he got hurt in that exchange. He uh, well, he lost his footing in it. It um, well, he had to be subbed off with a with a leg injury. But a good goal for Quarteng. Ten goals the season for him. Then Hamburg would equalise uh, just three minutes before normal time. Magdeburg gave the ball away uh, in a pretty dangerous part of the pitch. One pass to Kittle. He makes the defender miss and Cooley p- puts the ball past Dominic Ryman. Hamburg had another great chance before half-time. The initial shot was uh, from Dompe was saved by Ryman. And watching it live, because they had on the conference they had they had that moment. I don't know how he did it. Bakriata's effort, which nine times out of ten he would have scored. But Ryman's just flung a limb. It is just a stray limb. And somehow that ball has not gone to the back of the net. And there was a discussion whether that could be constituted as save of the season. It has to be up there. But then, you know, he, he really bailed himself out from a mistake that he actually caused. But a great save, regardless. Um, Half time comes around. One player we always look, we were looking at in this situation would be Barris Attic. And seventy-four minutes, he was the man. Jason Checker breaking the lines, cutting the ball back, and Attic from outside the box, first time hit, uh, with Hoya Fernandez rooted to the spot. It's quite fascinating. There was a player that would also take a lot of interest. Would be Tatsuo Ito, someone who got his start really professionally um, in the German game under Christian Tietz, has been really good coming off the bench. And there was an element of familiarity with his goal on 86 minutes. Checker with the assist, he gets the assist for this one. Really poor defending from Hamburg and a place that he has scored three times this season, which is on the left side of the uh, the 18-yard box. Curling ball into the corner. And 3-1, they would get... Hamburg would get a consolation goal through Ludovic Rice, his ninth of the campaign. But a massive, massive miss for Hamburg, who are now four points away from the top two. But now, where they play Paderborn on Friday night, there is the potential that they could only have a three-point advantage with three games to go um, heading into the, into the finale and hope in, in their attempts to hopefully hold on to the relegation playoff spot. There was also, we should talk about an incident. There was a penalty initially given by referee Harm Osmus on a foul from Elfa Dilly on Glatzel. That was overturned in a, in a weekend where there was a particular incident that was controversial, shall we say. This one in particular, in my opinion anyway, was a good use of the technology, a clear non-penalty. Great tackle, 
the other one we won't talk about. But um, we have to talk about Hamburg because this was a massive blow for them. It seems this might be quite a naive statement to say, but sometimes Volta football is a bit arrogant, potentially. They don't take certain teams too seriously. But one thing that's become very clear as of late is that Christian Tietz really has the wood over his former club and the coach that is trying to lead Hamburg back to the Bundesliga. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, for Mark Lebeck, you could see that they kind of knew that that, that that is it. Uh, they're going to stay in the league. Um, and, I mean, it was just very impressive. I mean, there are not a lot of teams who managed to win twice against Hamburg, and um, they just knew they have nothing to lose in this game. They won once. Nobody expects them to do it twice. But um, I was just very impressed. I mean, how um, yeah, different they played out those goals as well. It was not all Arctic, but it was actually um, just a very good team effort uh, all the way through. Um, I mean, you, Bell Bell was involved, Kvateng, mm-hmm. Arctic, Cheka, and obviously Ito. So... And that, that that's a huge compliment to their team. And obviously, uh, you you mentioned that Raiman safe, but I mean sometimes you need that as well. You need moments like this. And um, although the the school sheet looks very close, it doesn't really replicate um, how the end was. In in my opinion, Magdeburg looked like the grown up team in that in that game. Um, and that's. A huge compliment for Magdeburg, but also also what we say. Um, I think I think we said some something similar about the first leg game, and obviously that much time has passed, and that's not good for Hamburg if they don't manage to win against the same opponent twice, and they even lose twice. And um, we said it before, Hamburg has problems when they play against a team who does not have the majority of possession. They normally do. But if they have it, they know what to do with it. Um, they don't care if at some point in the game they're being forced into actually play or have possession and do their own thing because they know what to do. And this is what Hamburg had problem with in the first game, and this is what they had problem with in this game. And they know what to do. And um, yeah, I would agree. Correct VAR decisions. I mean, uh, I think at some stage Hamburg felt um, yeah. at a groundhog day kind of thing when Kittel's goal was checked as well for offside, uh, and that was that was very close as well. Uh, so. Yeah, but I mean, it also means that Magdeburg really figured out how to put Hamburg offside mm. in a way, in positions like that. Said, okay, you're good in, in, in set paces, all right, but we will put you in offside positions, so it doesn't matter. And obviously, it's also something that has to do with um, the mental aspect that if you have two goals disallowed, um, it, it gets into your head and it's getting harder. And if you then concede a goal, um, it yeah, it just make it easier. But they deserve to lose because yeah, especially that Ito goal, um, we've seen it a couple of times this season. Um, <laughs> and it's just Ito knows what to do if he comes into the box. He's sure to shoot, take the shoot, uh, the shot, and 
he did and in in i would say six out of ten cases it's a goal for him if he takes that shot i mean he doesn't come into those positions that much but if he does um he's pretty good at it and yeah in the end it just wasn't enough yeah look when magdeburg are going and they're at full tilt they're such they're really fun team to watch offensively especially when they get those quick transition they let their creators create and good things do happen and again like if if hypothetically if hamburg don't go up this season which if they have to go through the playoff again statistically it's not looking good we look at certain moments in the season teams that they didn't beat we can look at the vushkovic stuff as well because defensively if we if we're being honest with Vushkovic out of the side, that Hamburg team is just not even close to being its its best defensive self. They've tried different options with David, the Montero experiment, which is he's definitely not coming back. It won't happen. Um, they've had higher in there, and they're even worse when Sean Loyal's not even in the mix as well. It's really hard to, to really assess where they're at. The, the next game, their next four games, three of them are against teams who have something to play for. Paderborn, Jan Regensburg, who are fighting for their lives, Fürth, and they're away at Zanhausen on the final match day, and memory does not forget the fact that on a particular season-ending game against Zanhausen, they were utterly embarrassed and fell away and lost the chance to be in the playoff. History has a funny way of repeating itself, and Zanhausen have something to play for as well because they're trying to avoid relegation. They, they've been in the league for 12 years and they don't want to go down. The pressure's on. And let's see what this Hamburg team is made of. And if they are frightened of the big stage against a Paderborn side that we know can attack very well, oh boy, then we really will be having a Groundhog Day. Let's move on. We're going to head to the Niedersachsen Stadion in Hanover as Hanover take took on Nürnberg in what was the top Spieler game. Uh, there was only one team that was really top billing, and that was Hanover. They scored three times to make... Well, they scored four times, but one was given offside, and correctly. 3-0 win for Hamburg. For Hamburg, Hanover. I've lost the plot. Hanover won three goals to nil. Uh, goals from Julian Berner off a set piece, and that, if we're looking at tight decisions, that was a tight decision, all told. But the correct decision was, was given. Derek Kuhn, who... Uh, if I if I remember reading somewhere, Köln said he was the best left back in the Zweite Bundesliga. Um, may have read that, may have imagined it even. I'm not so sure, but he's done some good things in attack. He's got a wonderful goal, and then Maximilian Bayer, um, he did almost his very best to miss a pretty wide open effort. He cannoned a shot into Enrico Valentini, and the ball uh, went into the back of the net. Harvin Nielsen thought he had a goal, but he was offside. And there was a key thing about this game set pieces and one team in particular looked very dangerous and Hanover had two goals from set pieces but one was chalked away um but I, I I'm not sure if this is the fairest assessment but this is kind of what we were expecting Hanover to be um dangerous at set pieces you know having you know control not in terms of possession but the game state actually looking dangerous when they utilize the likes of Bayer and Nielsen and Toykert and like they just looked a little bit more dynamic than we've seen them throughout the course of the season and 
it's a what if moment. We, we've kind of reached a bit of a fork in the road. We, we feel like they're going to be safe. 40 points is enough to, to survive for another season. But this is, this is more what we were thinking they were going to be. They were going to beat up on some pretty good opponents. They were going to be solid defensively. This is their first clean sheet since November, November October. Match day 16 against Fortuna Dusseldorf was the last time they scored a clean sheet. Where's this been all season? Like That's the question that makes you wonder. Obviously, it takes time for a new manager to come in. He wants to bring in his new players, etc., etc. But this is more what I think a lot of us envisioned Hanover to be at the start of the season. And it's like they're showing signs now, but obviously it's too late. Yeah, but I would like two things about that. First of all, the pressure is off. Like the pressure is mm. off of yeah. Hanover. At the same time, you had Nuremberg where the pressure is pretty much on. Mm. Um, and you could see that in that game because Nuremberg just made too many mistakes and then actually just not at all or just too passive. Um, and I would say this is a game where you... You might have to look at the the team who lost more than the team who won, mm. um, because just from the first minute on, Nuremberg couldn't control Bayer, even though his like they. Although I think I have to restart this, the first five minutes belonged to Nuremberg, mm. Tempermann, I think. Um, and then uh, yeah, the, the Tempermann had the best chance. I think, and then after Hanover had the first chance after eight minutes, they completely stopped playing. Hmm. Like they completely just gave up. And um, although the first half was relatively fun to watch, the second half was not. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you have to talk about that, Hanover had conceded a goal in every game in 2023 up to this game. I think you do have to talk more about Nuremberg than you have to talk about Hanover. That's my point. Um, and Hanover was always closer to, to scoring the, the third or fourth goal than Nuremberg to even have remotely some sort of saying. Um, and yeah, they only had one shot on target in, in each half time, uh, in each half, and that's just not good enough. Um, and it puts them into a position where we thought they wouldn't be after Hicking took over because the first weeks are very promising, but unnecessarily uh, they put themselves back in that position. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, for, for, for Kaiserslautern, um, it's going to be the 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 weeks how they they play against uh, the team or, or better relegation. They played Rostock. We're going to talk about that uh, game later. Um, they're playing Nuremberg on the weekend, then they play Arminia Bielefeld. Um, so uh, they could potentially have a saying um, in that whole relegation matter. Um, and yeah, obviously for Nuremberg, Magdeburg, Rostock is going to be a huge game. Um, and they will hope that uh, when they play Paderborn at the end of May, um, that mm. it's that they're not going to get relegated and that everything is safe. Because obviously we don't know where Paderborn will be at at that stage. Um, so yeah, it was not really the result you were hoping for. I think that's safe to say. And for Hanover, obviously, uh, they're on a redemption tour uh, mm. with their fans, with their away 
away win in Bielefeld and now obviously uh, no goal conceded, 3-0 and fun for the for the fans on a Saturday night. Yeah, three wins um, in their last five, um, which is a positive end, which is heading towards a positive conclusion to the season. But obviously what matters for them is what they do in the summer and how they rebuild this squad and and put themselves in a position where they think they should be, which is fighting for promotion. They had a pretty busy week regardless. They announced a collaboration with J2, J-League 2 side, Amito Hollyhock. Uh, that is going to be a collaboration where youth players from the Japanese outfit will have the opportunity to, to develop and play youth football with Hanover, obviously a lot of scouting. And I think there's going to be an eSports element into that as well. Um, so yeah, they've got Kalsura on the weekend. They are uh, is a Saturday uh, afternoon game down in Baden-Württemberg. Speaking of Kalsura, they're our next game. Uh, they made the journey to Dusseldorf on Sunday afternoon. And the fans who were in attendance were treated to a very emotionally draining ups and downs kind of game. Um one that was fantastic to watch and ended with, well, depending on what side of the fence you're on, either the mo- a, a, a ultimate jubilation um, or you would have felt like you were kicked in the private areas. Depending on how you felt, I know one team in particular copped it at the end. It started well for, for Karlsruhe. They opened the scoring on 28 minutes. Maybe there was a foul by Philip Hazer. Maybe. It was close. Referee at the time... Uh, Timo Gerrish said no dice. They transitioned the ball. And what was a pretty harmless effort from Mikael Kaufmann. Um, yeah, look, I, you know, people who listen to the podcast will know that I'll defend goalkeepers to the eps of the earth. But I can't defend this. This was just a horrible mistake from, from Carsten Meyer. A very tame effort that just trickled through to the back of the net. Didn't take long, though, for Dusseldorf to respond. A brilliant interchange uh, exchange from Pedersen to Kovnatsky, and it looked like Kovnatsky may have overdone the ball back to Pedersen, who made a wonderful through ball. But somehow, even with Max Weiss making the attempt to, to, to minimize the angle, Pedersen does so well to get enough on the ball and get it on target, and the ball trickles in for 1-1. That's the score at the break. Karlsruhe then would retake the lead on 66 minutes, a set piece that was initially blocked at the beginning. Eventually, Hazer was able to squeeze the ball through, Maybe Kastenmeier was a bit unsighted and saw it late, and the ball beat him at the near post. But again, the lead lasted all but six minutes. Again, Dusseldorf really got it going. When their game was going, they looked very dangerous out wide. Able to get the ball into the box, and Matthias Zimmerman was able to poke it home. At 2-2, it seemed like the game was heading to a draw, but Dusseldorf, both sides were actually pushing for a winner. It was fantastic to watch both sides really going for it, even though Dusseldorf had probably the more to gain in this situation. And in three minutes of added time, they would get their game-winning goal. Shinta Applecamp's ball would find Jordi Device, and Device heads home for a wonderful goal. His first goal of the campaign, and a valuable three points for Daniel Tune's side. What we also saw at the end of the game is not something that we often see coaches do, which is an old-fashioned spray. Uh, Christian Eichner absolutely gave it to his players and then stormed off back to the change rooms. Uh, look, it was a fantastic game to watch. Both sides really went for it. It, w- it was high value for the fans that actually made it to the stadium. Of course, next season in Dusseldorf, uh, tickets will be a lot more affordable and we're all happy for it. Um that's just a hard way to lose a game. You know, they defended 
relatively well throughout the contest. But you have to say the subs really worked for for, for Tune. They got control after the two two, and it's hard to to, to not argue that Dusseldorf deserved the three points in the end, even if it came in such dramatic fashion. Yeah, I would agree. And obviously for for Karlsruhe, that whole incident with Ambrosius, him being subbed on Mm. because of injury just before halftime and then being subbed off again, um, obviously it always doesn't help if you already have to change tactics because of an injury. Uh, And then the player you put on to fulfill or fill that void has to be subbed off again. It's always... Not good because obviously it's not something that you can plan, um, and you can kind of see that um, after that. Or although you had the two one um, for Castle first, but after that you could see as soon as Dusseldorf got back into the game, that whole midfield kind of area was not prepped for that game. Um, and obviously we know what Dusseldorf can do if they want to. Um, but, um, yeah, I think Karlsruhe had their, had their chances with, for example, Kaufmann. But it, it was always like they were giving each other the moments or the, the time on the pitch. And uh, sadly for Karlsruhe, they gave it away to Dusseldorf in the past minutes of the game. Um, and, yeah, but I would agree with you that overall they were the better team. And um, obviously, it's good to see a coach who is, although he knows it's all safe, um, who is eager not to lose games. Um, I mean, obviously, not getting in that kind of uh, toxic environment, but uh, yeah, kind of saying, okay, this is a game we shouldn't have lost and where it shouldn't have been visible that there's one team who still have small hopes for promotion and then the, there's us. Um but, yeah, I mean, obviously for Dusseldorf, um, yeah, Dusseldorf, Paderborns and Pauli, they all give us that small, like, small tension until the end of the season, at least for the for the upcoming match day. Um, and, I mean, that's obviously what we love about the league. And I think just two weeks ago, we thought it's all done. And then those teams managed to pick up the points nevertheless and, yeah, bring us that, that thrill. Um of promotion race, at least for the third place, uh, where it often is when it comes to the end of the season. But yeah, um, I like if you would ask me right now, who can challenge Hasfall for that playoff spot? Because let's be honest, it's yeah, that's we we're pretty sure Heidenheim and Darmstadt are the promoted, more or less the promoted teams. Mm. I I'm, I I. <laughs> <laughs> duly apologize if i'm wrong now <laughs> and i really really jinx it uh, but let's be honest just from what we've seen the past couple of weeks um i think it's a safe assumption and then it's going to be the question who will mm. put pressure on her as well, uh, for the third place where once again it feels like a, a loss for hamburg this time where it felt like a win that they reached the um, third place in the end, uh, it would definitely feel like a defeat. Yeah, look, the three teams that we're talking about in four that are in P's four, five, and six, like they need a lot. They still need to help. They will need some. They will obviously need to take care of their own business, but they will also need a little bit of help in the process. 
So it's not exactly a done deal that they're going to be in the mix, but there is, it's the hope of the potential carnage that could happen at the end of the season um, that I think a lot of us are all very much invested in as, you know, as neutrals. If you're a fan of one of those clubs, I can imagine that you're not into that too much. Well, especially if you're Hamburg, you're absolutely like, no, stop, stop talking about this. But the other three clubs, for sure, um, Dusseldorf, they've got Kiel, um, and Karlsruhe, I've got Hanover. Um, yeah, that, that'll wrap up that section. Uh, on the other side, we'll talk about our Group 3 games, and we're going to start at the Hartvold Stadion in Der Klassiker. It was Sandhausen and Jan Regensburg. A massive game in the basement saw Jan Regensburg make the journey to Sandhausen. With the two sides separated by only three points, a win for Jan could see them climb out of the bottom two entirely. However, defeat would mean that Sandhausen would be level on points. A game of much importance and much anticipation. Oh, he's lost the words. There was five. There was over five thousand people at this game. I, I had a really good line, but I've lost it. So we're going to just quickly put that under the table. Uh, Sandhausen took the lead early on, just sixteen minutes in. Some really poxy defending from Jan to let Mervili Papila have all the time and the space, and he'd have an effort, and it was deflected and passed Jonas Urbig. Zanhausen would get a second after the break and potentially a little bit unlucky were Jan Regensburg because the initial effort on goal was not saved by Jonas Ubig, and yet a corner was given and from the preceding corner Dario Dumic's header cannoned off the post and into the back of the net. Regensburg would get a goal back just 14 minutes in, uh, 14 minutes later with a set piece of their own. A long throw from Christian Fiat was not dealt with and Prince Ose Awusu scored his sixth goal of the season. If there is someone who is trying to get Regensburg away from the bottom three, it is Awusu. However, the job was made a lot harder later in the game when Leon Guevara was sent off after a pretty dangerous play on Christian Kinsombi. We know he was trying to play the ball. That was the action. However, when you have the studs up near the face of a player... It is very hard for a referee, even of the caliber of Dennis Eidskin, to not go to the back pocket and give a straight red card. Jan had their moments in this game, but the moments were few and far between. And as a result, they are still in 17th. However, they are now joined on 28 points each with Zandhausen. And we breathe. This was a massive result for Zanhausen, and it continues their uptick in form to the point where people are really starting to believe that they're going to do it, aren't they? Zanhausen are going to find a way to survive. Seven points out of a possible nine means that they are rick-rolling their way to the top of the bottom three. Uh, with Braunschweig, Hansa Rostock next, two sides who are also in the battles, they've shown, they've shown an act to play against the sides who they need to beat in this situation. This wasn't exactly the the game you would expect. It was obviously quite tight. Not a lot of opportunities. Teams having you know a lot of toing and froing, and obviously opportunism is the name of the game when you're in the basement. But Zanhausen just found the winning formula. They got a little bit lucky at times. Deflected goal. They won the set piece that should never have been a set piece, in my opinion. And they and they scored from that set piece. Sure, they didn't keep a clean sheet, but they won't care. It's been a really good spell since Kleppinger has taken over. Yeah, and I mean, with Sandhausen and the Kleppinger, you have the feeling that they actually have a philosophy of playing again. I mean, uh, I was a bit surprised that we didn't see a Zane 
um, from mm. the beginning on because I thought uh, under Kleppinger, him kind of being in that 10th position um, instead of uh, playing on the 6th like he did under Ogai, I really did like him, especially when it came to, to recoveries, although they probably did know um, the, the whole kind of made up make off of this game is going to be very different than to the uh to the Paderborn game for example because obviously you had two teams where I wasn't sure who was going to have the majority of possession and I mean with 45 to 55 uh percent it's that kind of reflects that um and and both teams with horrible pass success right um but I mean yeah Zandhausen you kind of have the feeling that they're uh, self-understanding is very very different um, obviously it was quite clear that they wouldn't let um, they wouldn't be able to keep Ringsburg in their own half for 90 minutes or not letting them take a shot but because they scored their goals when needed um, it was clear it was going to be very very difficult for, for Ringsburg and obviously um, that red card came perfectly at a perfect time for, for Zantel horrible time for Greensburg I, I mean for, for them it, it was a very typical defeat because we said it in the past um, Greensburg had some good games like if you compare the beginning of 2023 to where they are now in like April, May um, very different um, or, or like end of March, April um, very different but they like the thing is obviously was what we said at the beginning and we keep saying Football is a result-driven sport. It doesn't matter. You can't, like, at some point, this is having a mental weight on you as well because you know what you do isn't bad. You bring yourself in positions to score, but the the matter of luck is really missing here. And um, obviously, that was the one game they weren't supposed to lose. If they had won, they could have leapfrogged Bielefeld into 17th. They would have been 16th themselves. And obviously, at the same time, increase the distance between them and Sandhausen, and they couldn't do that. Um, and obviously, with them playing Hansa Rostock, next big game coming up, then Hamburg, uh, and at the end, they play Heidenheim. So they have at least... Braunschweig is kind of out of that mix, I, I would say, more or less. Um, I would tend to say that Rostock, Hamburg, Heidenheim. So they at least play three and a half teams I want to say for whom it they have something to play for as well so that's going to be very difficult because that's obviously again where they had chances but they just they can't get it on the score sheet and with Sandhausen um, Braunschweig, Rostock, Heidenheim so they actually play the same clubs now uh, but in a different order Um we will see how that helps them or not. But obviously, uh, it's quite funny, or for, for us, it's quite funny, for, quite interesting, because we actually have the um, direct comparison between those both teams, and they're just they're equal on points, so everyone's out against each of that team can mean a lot. Yeah, there's an understanding that with the, the how tight the relegation battle is... Um, taking points against the teams around you is going to be vital. Obviously, Sandhausen have done that in this instance. And obviously now the pressure is on... Well, the pressure still remains on both sides to climb their way up along with Bielefeld. There's Rostock we're going to talk about in a moment. Eintracht, Braunschweig and Nürnberg, all separated by five points with four games remaining. 
it's going to be really difficult. Um, especially for Jan, in my opinion, if they can't win in Rostock. I just Hamburg at home, Braunschweig away, and Braunschweig are typically a lot better at home, and then Heidenheim. And they might get lucky that Heidenheim have nothing to play for in that game, but it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, yeah, we look forward to the conclusion of that. I know um, I'm feeling a lot less stressful about it, but uh, others probably not so. Let's move to Kaiserslautern uh, FC Car, who yesterday celebrated the 25th anniversary of completing one of the most improbable Bundesliga title wins in the history of German football. They welcomed Hansa Rostock to the Fritzwalter Stadion on a gloriously nice-looking Saturday afternoon. But I promise you the football wasn't as nice as the weather down in the south of Germany. Kaiserslautern had better early phases in this game, but weren't able to find the breakthrough. But of course, Rostock were on 42 minutes. Niels Freerling's initial effort from range, which he scored a belter from last week, he tested his, his, uh, his range... Andreas Luter did not deal with it particularly well. The ball falls to Perger, who is met defensively, but he pulls off an excellent move and then an excellent goal. It was sumptuous, elegant, and beautiful. Perger now has eight goals in the season. And then it would be a test of them defensively. Could they hold off a charging Kaiserslautern? Well, Kaiserslautern thought they had scored a goal midway through the second half through Philipp Herscher. However, Herscher was, in fact, offside. Then it was all Marcus Kolker, who once again, who's been one of the more solid players for Rostock this season, and Hansa make it two wins in a row. They haven't done that since the start of the season on match days two and three when they beat Hamburg and Armenia Bielefeld, and it's the first time since last season, match day 32 and 33, that they have kept back-to-back clean sheets. Rostock are, of course, another team that we're going to have significant interest in. And when you look at their last four games, excluding the fact they've already played Bielefeld, they play everyone in the bottom six. Regensburg, Zanhausen, Nürnberg, and then ending the season with Eintracht, Braunschweig. It is clear what their goals are going to be coming into it. But this is it's fascinating You, you if you look at social media and how Hansa fans are taking to it. They've taken to Alia Schwartz quite nicely in the sense that they have a bit of an identity. They're defending so much better than they have done in, well, pretty much the entirety of the season. They have hope. And now, with that victory, they are now 15th. They completely climb their way out of the bottom three. And, well, if the season ended today, they would be safe. They still have a lot to work on. That is clear. They're still not a great offensive team. They, they're not very efficient in the final third. But when it mattered in this game, it doesn't even matter. They had one good opportunity and they took it. Yeah, and I mean, um, at the same time, we, we look at Kaiserslautern. They only have one one game out of the last eight. Um, and it was against Hamburg. <laughs> um, ironically, um, yeah, they haven't really produced the results. You were, I mean, we said before, um, they kind of it, it was clear before we even started 2023 that they not going to be pulled in that relegation um, and you could see that at some stage like coming mid-February um, that they were getting kind of tired and I mean it's completely okay they still promoted tired uh, they still the best position promoted tired but I think um, 
we look at the game very weirdly once again because um, it's a game of both promoted sides from the Dritte Liga and we kind of expect more of Kaiserslautern um, in games like this, although from where they came from, they were even the lower position team in the table, obviously, because they um, came through the uh, playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, first of all, they made it too easy for Rostock in the first half and then um, they were teamed up against a very, very happy uh, Kalke, who was, uh, yeah, kind of happy to give the fans and obviously also his teammates a reason why he, um, yeah, can be a vital factor for them uh, coming the next four weeks. And, um, yeah, they deserve to win that because they just were more prepared for that game, um, although they didn't have... Uh, the majority of the chances that were just the more efficient team uh, and in games like this uh, it doesn't really matter um, if you if the XG are against you it, what matters is what the, the scoreboard says in the end and that was for Rostock and I think just in general or again they deserve to win that game although as a Bielefeld fan I'm not happy to say that <laughs> there it is we're waiting for that but uh, look it was peak Alias Schwartz football they don't have a lot of the ball but when they get forward when they have their opportunities, they essentially the style of play that he wants them to play requires them to be super efficient with their chances. And when you are one of the worst goal-scoring teams in the league, that puts additional pressure. But since they've lessened the minutes for Jean Verhoek, they've obviously been really reliant on Purga. We've seen more from Niels Fruling, which has been really good. Very energetic player, especially when he gets into attacking areas. And they... And maybe, you know, look, that their defence is an interesting mix. They had Rossbach, Van Drongelen and, and Malone as their back three. They're both, very, all three of them are very rugged, tough, physical defenders. They're not the most technically gifted, let's be honest. Although Van Drongelen was once hyped up as potentially being a very strong Bundesliga type defender. They're just, they're just doing the, they're doing what they need to do. If they can do their job, do the basics, they have they at least give themselves an opportunity. And two wins on the bounce, Regensburg at home, in what will definitely be a sold-out Oster Stadion, they can certainly believe that there is a chance that they can gap themselves to those below. A side that will be hoping to not get themselves into that bottom three is Eintracht Braunschweig. They, their fans had to make a gruelingly, well, a long enough journey to Paderborn on Friday night and it was nothing short than a, an absolute beating it's one thing to have to travel for an away game on Friday night it's one thing to see a team getting absolutely demolished and that's what happened in this game five goals to one for Paderborn which means Paderborn are on 50 points and they have Hamburg on the weekend the goal scorers well it was a good mix Julian Justvan Raphael Obermeyer Sir Lord Conte and a brace from Dennis Sabini. They even missed a penalty in that mix of goal-scoring performance. That was Marvin Piringer rattling the, the crossbar. Um, Anthony Uja got the one and only goal. And there's one thing that's really clear about the way that Braunschweig played defensively, and that is when Philip Benkovic is not in the lineup, they are absolutely atrocious. And this was no different here. Yes. Okay. I got you. I'm I sorry. was waiting for something. 
no, in a way, it was um, a very weird game because obviously two of this lot like I mean it could have been 6-1 but uh, yeah. a very questionable penalty that was given to Paderborn I'd say like that was not and we say karma maybe or Ball don't lie. whatever um, when uh, uh, yeah when Paderborn couldn't finish that but uh, the, or Piringa I think missed the ball mm-hmm. I mean for me it isn't really a foul by Berend on Obermeyer or not a penalty worthy one um, but Okay, probably not enough to overrule it, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was just too easy for Butterborn, even in stages where they didn't really do much. I think, like, between that kind of shortly after the break, that, that um, Uja goal, and then until the end, nothing really happened. Both teams kind of decided, okay, this game is over. Um, although Prancher scored right away after that three three no, um, yeah, that one chance I think through through Lauberbach and then they just kind of gave up. Um, and in the end, uh, the quality of chances Penabon had were just better. I mean, they scored five goals out of six shots. Six shots on target. I'm sorry. Um, holy. Um, no, but um, obviously, Patrick just didn't look equipped in the end and um, make too many mistakes. Their plan was to come over the wings, um, and at some stage, Paderborn figured that out and didn't really let them give give them that room. Um, and at the same time, they lost the ball too quickly, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't do that with a Paderborn side. Um, that has the quality, even with uh, the substitutes in the end, with Naj and Srebini, to finish that. And I mean, there were that were two easy goals, very easy goals to score. Yeah, and and Naj had a goal taken away for offside, and that would have been an absolutely cracking chip on Ron Torben Hoffman, which uh, I mean, Poart. Not even a life jacket would have been enough to save RTH and Paderborn. That's how under siege he was for the majority of the game. Um, which begs the question of seeing what Mikhail Sheila's going to do for their next game against Zanhausen, whether he's going to mix up the goalkeeping again and put Fazic in. But I, I, I'm of the belief that it, he wasn't exactly the reason why they gave up five goals. It, they were They were miserable in front and... Yeah, they, they I don't know what they need to do to get Philip Benkovic in the lineup, but when he's not there, boy, they it's like a running tap, but the seal in the tap is broken, so the water is constantly leaking. They need to fix that. Paderborn, of course, Hamburg World Feed game on Friday night. Definitely worth checking out. Of course, we've got to go to a kick tip, and after 30 match days, Alex is still leading. I would be willing to say that this one is all over. 3.55. JT Top scored with 19. If we were to recommend a podcast this week, we recommend the Millentorn. They have an episode coming up with St. Pauli forward Dapo Afalayan, which will definitely be worth listening to, especially as he's had he's had a pretty good impact since joining from Bolton Wanderers. So definitely follow the Millentorn. Listen to that when that comes out. And yeah, that does it for us. Thank you for listening to another week of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. We will be back 
next week to do it all again. So have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the football, and we'll see you next time where the Spider Bundesliga returns. Mm-hmm.